Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 122. Hey guys, uh, welcome back. Uh, so this is our, I like actually like this episode. It's one of my more favorite episodes to do. Uh, this is our WWDC N-1 episode. And so with the imminent release of iOS 11, it's now actually safe to use iOS 10 APIs because, you know, a lot of companies say we'll support the current version of the OS minus one. So that's our, that's where the N minus one comes from. And so today I went back and reviewed some dub dub videos and there was from 2016 and uh, there was actually a lot of things that, yeah, you could probably already use uh, if depending on how you coded your app and uh, things like so extensions were a big hit last year. Uh, you know, we had things like iMessage apps and Siri Kit and all those things. But I don't think you really had to make your app iOS 10 only to take advantage of those, right? If you were to just include an extension in your uh, project workspace that targeted 11, that would have been fine, right? Yeah, that sounds theoretically right. Yeah. I also, I also wanted to point out real quick that this is where we every year have to make fun of our Android compatriots who have to wait like six years before they can use the the stuff that gets announced. It. <laughs> yeah. At least before the majority of their users are on the latest or that, the, the OS or release. They, they have a bunch more backport type stuff that lets them use some APIs sooner. Like their WebKit framework is just like a separate app that gets updated whenever google updates it so that's kind of nice but i just like giving giving the android guys a little bit of a yeah what did we say a few weeks ago that there's more flat earthers than android oreo users <laughs> <laughs> yeah so sad times for that one but so yeah so last year i you know i remember thinking when this came out and went at dub dub 2016 that it's like this is kind of a, a glass nose for iOS where everything's just kind of unthawing and we're getting access to all these new internals in the OS and, and they're opening things up with extensions and that, that trend is just going to keep continuing into 2017 and you know before you know it we'll be able to do all kinds of stuff that we might actually be jealous of Android users for being able to do but that really didn't happen in in uh, 2017. You know, we didn't get a whole lot of new extension points in the OS and in iOS 11, right? I mean, we got more Siri intents. And... Not a lot, though. I mean, it, we they added maybe three or four. It's still fairly limited, especially compared to some of the other voice services. Yeah, and I should caveat that we're actually recording this before the September announcement, and it's going to go out sometime close to that, and probably still before the September announcement. So we don't know what the uh, Siri speaker, what that's going to actually introduce to us, and if they're going to open more things up in the OS to us that way. But for now, with what we know, the trend really didn't continue. But I have seen some decent iMessage apps out there. Uh, there were a lot of uh, kind of false starts, I guess. I mean, there were some games that people tried to create that just didn't work. You know, I nothing. thought people were just using them for sticker packs, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's been some interesting ideas, like you said, but at the end of the day, it seems like iMessage apps are basically just, let's throw some stickers on on so you can just drop images. Yeah, and there were some funny... I remember, you remember that one guy who made this, what was, he made a sticker pack that looked like iMessage bubbles <laughs> so that you yeah. could make it look like people <laughs> said things that they didn't actually say. Yeah. Which was really popular for a while. The guy made a few, a few uh, bucks off of that and then it got Yeah, and then it. Apple pulled it, yeah. But, I mean, I, I guess one thing that, that's useful having seen that and 
now being where we are is we can we know that oh if you have an imsig if you have an imessage idea then you probably shouldn't uh do it if it if it's not a sticker pack that like augments your existing app or it's mainly just a sticker app because otherwise people aren't going to mess with it yeah it's definitely more of a thing that augments your current app you know starbucks made it so you could uh, send a digital gift card over iMessages, which is cool. I think there were a few other things that kind of leveraged existing apps like that out there. But for the most part, yeah, it definitely wasn't another goldmine uh, like the watch was supposed to be and whatever else before that. Apple TV, another supposed goldmine, but they weren't. it wasn't something that hit the ball out of the park. Uh, even SiriKit. It didn't, you know, I don't know. I don't talk to my phone. So I don't know if you guys use any of the voice recognition stuff. I don't know. I work at home and I can get lonely sometimes, Sam. You don't talk to your <laughs> phone for the same same reason? <laughs> no. I talked to uh, that Amazon thing. Yeah, the lady in the can. Right. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I guess the the ones we got last year were messaging, payments, VoIP, uh, ride sharing, photo search. We got photo search last year. Huh. That was announced. I don't. I don't know. I've never actually used it. Yeah. How, how do you do a voice search for a photo? Like, what's the result? Does it describe the photo to you? <laughs> well, I thought it was supposed to be something like show me all my pictures I took in San Francisco, or um, even maybe more comparable to something like the what Google can do, where it's like show me all oh. the pictures on a beach. Okay, that makes more sense. All the pictures of my friend Joe or whatever. I mean, it sounds like it was a thing that they shipped in iOS 10. It didn't get pulled or anything. So, <laughs> well, if you have a photo app, then you can implement this now if you didn't already. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it. <laughs> That might not be one that actually shipped. You know, sometimes those things get announced at DubDub and they don't ever actually make it. Like uh, the notification syncing, right? Wasn't that one that was announced a couple years ago? Where if you saw the notification on one device, it would just pretend that it saw them on all devices? Yeah, that one went away. And we have the same thing with the iMessage syncing this year so far. Um but it look, from what I can tell, just my searches, it looks like they shipped this thing. Okay. Yeah, I guess we'd if, have to if, go back to the September announcement because they kind of recap yeah. all that stuff too. Yeah, in September where there is a thing where uh, Apple previews it and stuff. It's like, find men's fashion pins on Pinterest or show me a picture of my daughter in the style of Monet on whatever this app is. Stuff like that. So mm. I guess guess it's shipped. Okay. I, I doubt it's super popular, but it's a thing that happened, and now you can do it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just not sold on voice as a primary interaction with your phone. Especially... Yeah, it sounds it sounds super lazy, but the having to actually hit a button to trigger someone listening to your voice is the is a deal breaker for me. It's like too it's too much effort to hit the button that sounds so horrible well you don't have to hit the button there is the the wake up word which the wake up phrase which we will utter on this podcast but i found that that's been increasingly unreliable and maybe it's because i'm running beta software right now but yeah i, I feel like it's on on the lady in the can, it is way more reliable. I, I say that her phrase, and she starts listening to me. But yeah, Apple, I would not. I feel like you still have to hit the button if you want to to make make things work. Yeah. And I don't think Apple has really done a good job with the hardware in that respect. Because if you're in a even moderately noisy restaurant, it doesn't work. And the Google phones all pick it up. <laughs> yeah, we've got a. <laughs> A whole set of test devices, so it's, it can be a little, <laughs> little uh, interesting if you yell "Hey Android" or "Hey Google." Uh, 
in the room. It's, it's okay. So, oh. so, but yeah. Well, he didn't want to say it. Otherwise, we're gonna have to bleep it out, <laughs> Sam. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm editing. I don't bleep anything. Okay. <laughs> I sorry, bleep. sorry, anyone who's an Android person who's listening or has an Android device in their vicinity. <laughs> That's not the only reason you're sorry for it, though. No. That's just, true. Just trolling. I was using that a little bit more consistently with the AirPods. Just you know, it was kind of convenient while driving or whatever to be able to increase the volume or or what whatever uh, with the AirPods. But even that you're supposed seemed... to drive with your headphones on. Eh. Well, details, <laughs> laws, whatever. Not, yeah. Not listening to music. It's audio. Maybe if you have some of those headphones that like they're not can bring the sound in and not noise canceling <laughs> not, yeah at least they're not noise canceling yeah okay. there's not a good enough seal on airpods for that so that's good <laughs> if you're talking on the phone it's better to have the hands free than uh than actually holding a phone while you're trying to drive yeah, and... yeah that the carplay stuff is actually really nice i don't know if you guys have ever used that in the car but no, yeah, my car's it's, too old. It works pretty well. I wish my car had it, but my my wife's car has it, so it's it's cool and useful. Got to speak to Elon. Get him on the yep. phone. Yeah, he well he said he would add it, but that was like a couple years ago. So I don't think I don't think my car is ever going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's probably Anyways. one of those things that needs special hardware. And yeah, you'll get it shortly after he makes it to Mars. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so what else can we use now that now that uh, everyone is upgraded to iOS ten? Well, WatchOS three added Sprite Kit and Scene Kit, so that was a, a nice addition. You could make more richer notifications, which uh, happens to be another item on the list here, but. So two questions related to this. Do you do you know um, how OS uptake is on a watch watch OS versus like on people's phones? I think you're strongly encouraged to keep them in sync. So if you upgrade your phone, you're probably going to upgrade your watch at the same time. I don't have analytics to back that up, but yeah, I was gonna say I always do that, but. But we're always on the bleeding edge, so I don't know what like normal people do. Yeah, I don't. Then again, maybe normal people don't use watch apps. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happens if your watch is behind your phone significantly. I don't know if it would remind you like it does with iOS. Like iOS, you can say "remind me later" is your best option, and it'll keep annoying you every day. Yeah, it it definitely does pop an alert controller at you and typically when i'm doing the beta cycle stuff i don't update my watch manually i just wait for it to tell me that hey there's an update and then i apply it while it's it's docked so i would i would venture to say that people are keeping that the watch is relatively up to date yeah so real-time follow on follow up on this uh, I did a Google search while you guys were talking, and of course, David Smith always has awesome blog posts that answer my questions when I have them, and uh, he has a widely used watch app, Pedometer++, and he he did a blog post in January, and basically, um, watchOS adoption, for whatever reason, is almost better than iOS, for whatever reason watch people tend to have their stuff up to date. This was in January, so everybody was basically on 3.1.x uh, for watchOS. There's like 2% of people on 3.0.x, and then like almost no one was on 2. So it looks like uh, you may not even have to wait as long for watchOS uh, to, do, to do new stuff. Yeah, as always, and, consult your analytics, right? Well, yeah, and watchOS seems like it's it's uh, progressing pretty rapidly. So it's not it's not at the point where people hold off because things get broken on their phone or whatever when a new watch or when a new OS comes out. I mean, watchOS for the most part 
has gotten better significantly every time a new update comes out. So that might be part of why that happens. They they learn new things and they completely change how the OS works. So yeah, um, another nice addition to various Apple hardware besides iPhones was uh, TVOS got multi-peer connectivity. And that was one of the things that allowed them to do the TV remote. Remember Ar- Argo, you had the, the website. <laughs> what was that? Is the Apple remote available yet or something like, something like that? The new Apple TV remote? Something yeah. like that, yeah. It was remote too- app. Yeah. yeah. So that was uh, one of the nice features there. I don't think, though, that it ever supported handoff. I'm not sure. Because that would be one of those things that would be nice if you could have an app that could hand off some kind of activity to your Apple TV app. You're yeah, talking maybe. about the multi-peer connectivity framework handling handoff? or Yeah, so... Like if you're watching a show on your device and you want to hand off to your Apple TV? Right. Like, let's say Netflix, for example. Or... Anything, yeah. Even Amazon, something through iTunes. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, that would be cool. It's It'd be like AirPlay, but less crappy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because, I mean, it. there's various different modes I think that AirPlay can work in. I think there's a way where you can AirPlay something and your phone stops doing processing, but there's other times when it you have to keep the app open and that uh, seems like a recipe for disaster or for, yeah, it just seems bad having to keep the app open, not close the app or let it go to sleep or something. Yeah. But yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know originally when TVOS came out, NS user activity was part of it, and then they removed it for the release. But looking at the docs, it does say now macOS 10.0 plus or 10.10 plus. I'm sorry, macOS. TVOS 8.0 plus. So, but I don't know if it would uh, support handoff or not. I'm not aware of that support being there. Uh, Maybe one of our listeners. No, but you know, outside of the remote app, have, have you really seen a whole lot of uptake on the multi-peer connectivity, or or maybe they're just waiting for a little bit more widespread adoption? Maybe we'll start seeing that soon. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that's used more in games and gaming for Apple TV just has not been a thing. Yeah, well, like the. The Crossy Roads when that came out, uh, with multi- the multiplayer that that was fun. It was fun, but it like they had to jump through quite a bit of hoops to get that to work. So this multi-peer connectivity, um, maybe it doesn't work quite the same way, but it would make it easier for multiplayer games than what uh, was available at the time. Yeah, it was kind of kludgy, but yeah, yeah, it seems like this would be easier now if you're making a TVOS game. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, so UIKit did see a, a number of decent um, enhancements. Uh, we had a shared clipboard implemented. Yeah. Which, does that, how well does that work? Have you had much success with that? I haven't used it. <laughs> I think I used it Sadly. right after, maybe it was in the beta, but... Um, you know, this kind of goes back to AirPlay, kind of, because, you know, this kind of relies on Bluetooth as well, I believe. Uh, I don't know how well this works currently. Well, you guys and your Hackintoshes, it probably doesn't work at all. Uh, Actually, I was I was using it the other day on my Hackintosh. I had, like, a password copied on my phone because, I don't know, I think one password was crashed or something on my Mac. I don't know what it was. Or maybe it was the other way around. It was on, maybe it was crashed because I was using a beta version of my phone. But I copied it on one place, pasted the other place, and it worked just fine. So it seems like it works. Okay. Yeah. It is It is one of those things where sometimes it doesn't work, though. So I don't know about you guys, but I have a text message where I talk to myself with various bits of information that I need <laughs> uh, on one place from another place. You mean, uh, like, just... Uh... Where you have like a text editor open with? Stuff? No, no, no. Yeah. I just have a iMessage. 
to myself where hmm. I I'll send like a you know, you create a new message, you put in your own iMessage account and it basically shows up twice whenever you send a message. I guess <laughs> I guess I'm the only one who talks to myself. I'm kind of embarrassed now. <laughs> well, I just use you... uh, I use IA Writer with iCloud Sync, so it oh, shows up in, in both. Okay. Uh, well, why so... not use uh, Notes or Reminders or? Yeah, I, I use Notes sometimes, but for Draw. whatever reason, if it's just like uh, something I don't want to live forever in a note, that I it's easier just to, like send a URL. He's a millennial, and, uh, so like yeah. <laughs> texting is like like it's natural same. instincts. Man, <laughs> Woo. a lot that of millennial is, hate going on today. That and not pushing buttons. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> I I definitely was excited when they announced that feature, uh, but I haven't put it to use as much as I would like. Uh, partially because I forget that it's there. I'm sitting here trying to use it and it's not working. So I don't, it's probably an issue with the beta I'm on or something. But yeah, I'm just trying to copy some text from Sublime Text and paste it in the notes. And it sits there like it wants to actually copy it or paste it, but it doesn't do it. So yeah. Uh, it is kind of slow when it works. Like you hit paste. And then you're like, is it working? And then you get like a little uh, bar that fills up real quick or something like that. And it like downloads it and then it pastes. So it's not instantaneous like they demoed it, but mm -hmm. it works sometimes still. Yeah. One nice thing that came out of SiriKit, though, was that we had a new text recognition API that I guess it was probably there because you could use like the text recognition or voice recognition I should say sorry speech recognition API and I guess it was kind of there in previous versions of iOS like you could tap in messages and dictate a, a message to somebody but I don't it think was just was... built into the keyboard right it was not right was it not an API that you could yeah, implement it was your own way in the keyboard right and so uh, we actually have a lower level API SF speech recognizer that does continual text recognition and the demo that they showed in in uh, the at DubDub was that uh, the guy who always does the collection view demos at least he used to was uh, that Olivier Gutnik he's a I think German or Austrian yeah. but he did a uh, he was dictating in English and then switched over to German real quick and it just automatically picked it up. Pretty cool. I that's something I wish apps had more of. Yeah, we've we scoped out a project to use that API specifically. Uh, we didn't end up moving forward because it was a startup that didn't quite have a business model yet. <laughs> but it uh, looked like it was going to work reasonably well and be really easy to use. Actually, it, there wasn't a lot to implementing that part of the feature yeah pretty simple yeah it's not uh, like natural language processing that's kind of another level on top of that but right it, if it, you actually want to parse out a command or something that's a whole nother level yeah i think this, there is an api to like break apart a sentence structure there are I, some different algorithms i don't know if we have any in ios 10 i think uh ios 11 some of the core ML stuff or something related to that would have would have that. Yeah, I can't remember right now. I, I feel like there's something in there. There's the NS linguistic tagger. That's probably what I was thinking of. Okay. Um, which has been around for a little while. It's, it, it's not, I would call it a natural language processor to the extent <laughs> of what like a, an Alexa would be, but it yeah you can kind of rough enumerate over it, pull out units it, and and things like that. So you can get get a bit of the way there, but not not, not a full NLP. Yeah, 
Um, another nice little addition that I guess uh, came out. I don't know if it came out or if it came out uh, during the year, like with after iOS 9 was actually released. But um, text fields can have content types now. And so like you could, there's an attribute on a text field that you can set to a certain uh, enum and like uh, say like phone number or full street address and iOS as part of the keyboard suggestions when you tap on that field will put your information there if you in the like above the keyboard in the keyboard accessory view so if you ever wonder how some of these things are how they're like prompting you to tap on something tap on a field and then get the suggested for your address it's this content type so that was that was something i didn't realize that they put in i think i, I missed that last year and i was pleasantly surprised to see that that seems like something more people should use <laughs> yeah definitely yeah it's, i there's a lot to ui text field in general and i think a lot of a lot of uh early apps don't necessarily think through how to configure a text field to make it as easy as possible for the user. And that, this is definitely one of those things, but making sure you have the right keyboard type is important and, you know, only allowing valid characters and, uh, you know, thinking about copy and paste and things like that. It's uh, this, this kind of goes in there as well in terms of like suggesting the right content. Yeah. But, but, and it, I guess it applies more to iPads because phones are, well, I guess, I guess you can make an argument both ways, but I would say phones are better suited for content consumption and not as much data entry, whereas the iPad would be in reverse of that, but still nice to have it in both uh, table views and collection views actually got some significant updates last year uh, collection views can do self-sizing cells for flow layouts i i haven't done that yet have you guys had to make any of those not self-sizing um you know we've done quite a bit with flow layout but i had to customize the sizing programmatically yeah, I was curious if anyone knew how that worked out because I remember with UI table view cells, the uh, automatic sizes were kind of buggy in their first release and they yeah. got more solid, I think, and maybe it was iOS 9. Well, I think they um, keep getting a little bit better and better, and I think even 11 is like the first version where that's the default. Yes, it is. So that's it is for table views. Yes. I don't think it is for collection views man well hopefully it's it's good and it'll get better <laughs> yeah i think you know to some degree last year it was collection views started to get a little bit closer than being on par with table views with like ui refresh control being added so you can do pull to refresh um, self-sizing cells uh, both got cell prefetching and data prefetching which for the most part, you don't have to do anything special for that. Or data a, prefetching you do, but for cell prefetching, uh, you know, in, increases the performance, improves the performance of scrolling. Gotta, gotta have those smooth scrolling cells too. Yeah, and this is, it was kind of like a, a like it was kind of, in retrospect, obvious of, hey, yeah, we probably should render the cell before it starts showing yeah. yeah so i'm glad they added that and you got that performance improvement for free yeah um another thing that was added and i think i will make an effort to use this in the coming year uh, the ui property view the ui view property animator uh, if you guys remember, Facebook came out with that animation SDK called uh, Pop, was it? Yeah, Pop. Yep. Yeah. And they made the apps pop. <laughs> yes. 
And it had this nice uh, feature where the animations were interruptible and I think probably even reversible and just a lot of things that were really hard to do with uh, UI UI views animation. They were, I mean, they were obviously doable because Facebook did them, but they were, I mean, it was a pain in the butt to do stuff like that. (laughs) So this made it actually useful. (laughs) Well, I think Pop actually implemented its own animation engine. Yeah, I mean, they had their, they had the spring animation before Apple added that to uh, UI view animations. Did it complete, do you know if it completely bypassed core animation or was it? I believe so. Okay, it wasn't just a layer on top of it. And then they also yeah. made it so it worked on not just UI views. You could you basically just had a plain old object uh, that you could animate, if I recall correctly. That sounds right. Now, for the most part, that framework isn't terribly relevant anymore. Uh, there's probably people out there that still use it, but uh, that team that supported it, built it, uh, was disbanded, I believe, from Facebook. You know, the paper team. Right, and uh, well, the app. I don't know if it's way. updated too much anymore. No, the app was discontinued. Oh, the team was disbanded too. Yeah, so and with, I guess with good reason in a way because this UI view property animator looks to do just about everything that Pop did. Yeah, I think the only major difference is that Pop it didn't have to be UI view, you know, it could be a plain old object. Yeah. Uh, and not every property on, on a UI view is animatable. Yeah. And I think pop might've worked around that because it was its own animation engine. So yeah, that's one I'm, I plan to look at more this coming year because it's, it's definitely relevant now. If you had to support nine, but can drop it now, this is, this is something for you. Yeah, and it on this, you know, the basic use cases looked really easy to implement. So I, I definitely see this being something that people adopt. Yeah, oh, our good friend Core Data <laughs> seems to always get improvements that make it a viable uh, storage technology <laughs> this year. Yeah, every year yeah. there's there's definitely movement forward on core data. It's been a while since I've had a use case that really demanded the power that core data brings. Um, but if you do have a use case where core data makes sense, then it just gets better and better every year in terms of... It, it is very robust, uh, but a lot of use cases don't require that, that level of functionality. Well, and the, the, there's always the issues where you have to use their objects. You, know, you have to inherit from the NS managed object. And if you don't set up your core data stack just right, you're going to run into threading issues. And I think, you know, that was part of the improvement is there's, a, you know, setting up that stack is that much easier. I think that was with iOS 10. Right. Yeah, it's supposed to be much better. And I, yeah, I just haven't had the opportunity or, or need really to use that. Yeah, I, yeah, a lot of times we early on we found ourselves using core data as like a local cache. And core data was overkill for that. So, you know, we found other more uh, simplistic approaches to that that had good performance and low overhead and not a steep learning curve. Um, but like I said, if you need a, a robust client-side database, Core Data is probably one of the better options out there. It's interesting that Google this past year added Room, which is their ORM tool that is like Core Data that sits on top of SQLite. Uh, so I was kind of surprised to see hmm. that this year. Yes, yeah, so that's new in Oreo, I guess. It's or one of their or it's one of their architecture components that they added. Okay. So uh, along with uh, like the view model, and uh, there was another piece to that lifecycle. I think it was um, Room is their ORM. So it, hmm. 
it's it's interesting. I've also found like Realm. You know, some folks went from Core Data to Realm, and I feel Core Data on the setup has gotten easier, and Realm has now kind of gotten a little more sophisticated. So like the gap between the two aren't necessarily as big as they used to be. Uh, Realm's got slightly different use cases than Core Data, especially if you use the Realm mobile platform. Uh, but you some of the things you mentioned in terms of like you know threading and subclassing a one of the framework objects you know realm for the most part works the same way and so it's going to have all of the same kinds of drawbacks just not supported by a first party yeah but it does support multiple platforms so if if that's something that you're interested in then that could be a a good solution kind of along the realm mobile platform line of thinking you know cloud kit added shared records in ios 10 i i have not had a chance to use cloud kit in a production app yet but you've actually used CloudKit because things yes. like notes and reminders are all implemented as front ends to CloudKit. Yeah, and I've done a decent amount with iCloud sharing, uh, various APIs for that, and uh, as well as uh, iCloud Drive. I just haven't used like CloudKit records at this point in, in my apps. But yes, I've definitely interacted with a lot of apps that, that use it. And for the most part, I... You know, it works great in the Apple ecosystem. Right. And that's that's the key word in the Apple ecosystem. So if you do need that third party thing, it's just not going to work. Yeah. As an end user that pretty much only uses devices in the Apple ecosystem, uh, you know, I, I wish more apps would support CloudKit outside of the fact that I keep running out of storage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually paying for storage now on CloudKit, but oh, wow. uh, uh, that's not iCloud. That's actually CloudKit. Well, iCloud. I think or it's, it's all kind of part of the same thing now. So I pay like a dollar a month for okay, yeah. extra storage because I think you start with how much is five, it? Five gigabytes, but your backups and your pictures and everything else just eat that away really fast. Yeah, the what I, app- what app are you using for that uses CloudKit, or is it, is it just the built-in Apple stuff? It's mostly the built-in Apple stuff, but I use like IA Writer uh, that uses CloudKit. Um, I was using One Password on that with Cloud iCloud CloudKit, I guess, um, but I switched over to their their uh, subscription plan. Um, Keynote is probably a big consumer of data, so I've got some. Keynote documents that I store in Cloud Get iCloud Drive. Okay, but that's not. I, I thought you were maybe using a like a CloudKit app that was storing private data enough that you needed more storage. But it sounds yeah. like it's the usual well, suspects. It, it's well, mo- yeah, it's mostly just for syncing data between apps on desktop and mobile, or between mobile devices. Not not like a Dropbox type of solution. But things like the the Photos app that is using CloudKit under the hood these days. So, CloudKit yeah, notes, true. probably reminders. Yeah, yeah, there's quite a few that do. So yeah, and that that's backed. All the private user databases are all uh, part of your iCloud storage, and that's your initial five gigabytes. And I forget, is it fifty gigabytes that you get for a dollar a month these days? I think so. Yeah. It, One of the one of the nice things in iOS 11 is you can uh, actually share with a family now your storage, which is nice. Because mm. I found my wife and I both needing to, to get the 200 gigabyte option, I think. Maybe it's 20. Either way, we basically both have to pay for the same plan, but we could fit together into one very easily. So once iOS 11 is out, we'll be able to switch and, and share that 200 gigabytes between us. That'll be nice. So yeah. So, all in all, yeah, looking back at oh well, hold on. <laughs> uh, GameKit also was a new thing with iOS 10, and that added a cool a cool set of libraries 
that were mostly game focused, obviously from the name, but things that you can actually use in your day-to-day apps as well. Is this? I, this I, is I, more. This isn't. This isn't the like Sprite Kit or something. I know. I I was thinking Game Kit came out in nine, and then like ten added things like um, Replay Kit and and such. Um, well, it added that stuff too, but uh, I think these are a bunch of more like algorithmic, yeah, use cases that they added to GameKit. It wasn't okay. GameKit wasn't new in, in iOS ten, right? But, because right, they had they like the of... they had like the I forget what they called it, but like the the follower algorithm and yeah. what's the swarm algorithm, whatever it was called. Wasn't Game yeah. Center included in GameKit, and now the Game Center is kind of deprecated. Yeah. Mm, no, that was no. separate. I think something. Well, I don't remember. Game Kit or Game Center is is definitely a separate thing. It, it Game Center isn't deprecated, deprecated completely, <laughs> but there is some Game Center stuff that did get deprecated. Okay. Yeah, there's but, a lot. Game Center mostly seems to be uh, syncing now between devices, state between <laughs> devices. Uh, at least from my interactions with it, I. <laughs> There was a way to invite and play with others, and maybe you can still do that, but I don't think that's the primary use case, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, no. for whatever reason, Apple decided that they didn't... They they just started removing, like, major features that a lot of games were using, so it was <laughs> actually kind of annoying when they started removing some of that stuff, if, yeah. you, if you use it in your app, so... <laughs> One thing that, like, with GameKit specifically, you know, I think it's kind of an interesting kind of subgroup in apple in that like a lot of these things like state machines for example in a lot of ways these are like the architecture components that uh the android team added uh in the latest update for android where there are these relatively discrete libraries for logic or arch you know to kind of drive a specific architecture in your applications you know like who doesn't need a state machine in a game but there's probably use cases for that outside of games as well like you know managing the state of your views um i i kind of wish that apple would introduce something similar just to your standard ui kit applications ios yeah. applications <laughs> like android did because like you know dealing with things like life cycles uh you know view model there's like 20 different ways of implementing that you know everybody does it a little bit different um the way android did it it was kind of tied into the life cycle android has a binding framework between like the ui and the model uh, so you don't even necessarily need something like rx at the ui layer because it's kind of built in and yeah i, I definitely see you know, the way they've been approaching GameKit is something that, that they could approach to some discrete problems uh, for standard apps as well, or, or business non-game apps. Yeah, but I guess I guess the biggest thing to me with this is you, you probably don't want to use this stuff if you're building a game, because you probably want to have it be cross-platform. But if you find yourself in iOS starting to implement or pull in code for some like complex algorithm or or something like a state machine or something like that check in game kit or just check to make sure that there's not something already built in now that you can use ios 10 because you may just not have to worry about that and use the built-in stuff so yeah i like the the rule system one that that works out pretty nicely you know a lot of times you can just classify information or build up your own rule set so you don't have to create a whole bunch of if statements in your code to say, okay, if this condition and this condition and this condition, then this, you can express that as a set of rules and run that through your rule engine that's in GameKit and get your result right there. It's it's really nice. And you can theoretically even have those rules stored on a server and you would just kind of interpret the text of those rules and then program your rule system and then you have your logic being some logic anyway at least being updated server side Uh, pretty cool stuff it definitely helps cut down on code and even maintenance and whatnot so yeah we're gonna see more 
I mean, 2017 was pretty much the AI. Uh, that was the AI was pretty much the theme for Dub Dub in 2017, and yeah. this is hey. some of the stuff that you can use already. Go ahead. So, kind of one last topic we have on here. Uh, you yeah, user notifications got an overhaul several different improvements here um, they went to a JSON web token instead of a certificate model for authentication uh, with uh, push services um, oddly enough I haven't seen widespread adoption of that some of the big players there are still using the these certificates which is kind of annoying because they expire uh, uh, every yeah. year uh, which you know, it creates kind of a, a maintenance task uh, along with that. Uh, yes, it does. And if your server team for, somehow forgets, and yeah, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, and then um, kind of along with that, you know, richer notifications, you can uh, put in video and images, I believe. You can replace existing notifications based on a no notification ID. So, like, a you know, classic example of like uh, game scores, you know, rather than having a separate notification, it would update the original if it hasn't been viewed yet. So, uh, you know, some some good stuff there. Have not seen too much adoption of that yet, but hopefully, you know, as uh, iOS 10 becomes the dominant version out there, uh, we'll see more of those. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't got a lot of that basically just custom UIs too that you could do for notifications. I think that, that was added in iOS 10, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's weird. Oh well. Yeah, maybe this year. I, you know, arguably the uh, it, in a lot of use cases, push notifications are more annoying than useful, but uh, you know, with some of these enhancements, the ones where it does make sense and they can get a lot better. Uh, they can be useful for for marketing, I, I think as like developers, we we tend to try to avoid doing that kind of stuff because it annoys us. But I think for the health of your apps, they they can be a good thing to to use, even if they feel kind of weird to you. Just, I, I think the key just, is to just, just not be wired. spamming <laughs> with push notifications. Yeah, um, knowing when. I mean, you can do it. Not. And letting users pick what kind of notifications yeah, they get. There's good and bad ways that you can implement for sure. Yeah. So yeah. So at this time, right now, iOS 10 is 87%, and iOS 9 is at 10%. So I would. It won't be long before that iOS 9 number just pretty much goes away. If you're starting on something new and you have to maintain backwards compatibility, I would not bother with ios 9 support at this point uh i don't even know if i would if i'm starting something new if i would even consider ios 10 support it depends it depends what your market is because yeah i mean as if always you, but as an yeah. indie yeah. <laughs> well i mean i'm a small company and we i feel like if depending on the kind of your app if your target market is like the general populace like like my games are then you kind of have to keep doing n minus one because not everyone uh, supports. But if you're doing more of a a niche app that has like a very enthusiastic, like focused audience, maybe I think it would make more sense just to worry about iOS 11 in that case. Yeah, um, it's definitely yeah. important to understand who your audience is and. Uh, Interestingly, with games, quite often it, you're not doing n minus one. Like Supercell, you know, will still run on most of their games. Will still run on um, maybe even a, yep. a first edition <laughs> iPad. So, you know, they use Unity or something like that. So it's not as as big of a challenge. They, the biggest issue for them is dealing with like 32 bit and different screen sizes. Yeah, I was super pumped. Ridiculous Fishing, which was one of one of the apps I was bummed had not had a sixty four bit update, just came out with a compatibility release, so I can keep <laughs> keep playing my uh, keep ridiculous fishing. What's that word? 
you would shoot the fish when it came up from this surface or something. Yep. <laughs> yes, it's it's a fun game. I'll I'll or uh, Sam won't put a link in the show notes. He might. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I won't commit him to it though. If it's there on our Trello Trello board, it'll go in the show yeah. notes. Yeah, but uh, so one other thing that I wanted to just point out, if you're starting to build with iOS 10 as your minimum SDK, is that well, I don't, I don't know if this is true. It, Never mind. Just cut that part <laughs> out. Well, you you were gonna say that. Um, where'd it go? Okay. You were going to say that UI alert view was going to, was gone, actually removed. 10 is where they removed it. Yeah. It was deprecated in eight and then it was hanging around, hung that, around in nine and it was gone in 10. Well, yeah, I think it's still there, but if you're trying to access it from Swift, all of the deprecated, uh, functions in UI kit are not available. Even from Objective C, you can't you can't link against UI Alert View in iOS 10. I remember us having to remove huh. them from our apps or third party libraries that removed them. But I, I, it was kind of interesting to me that they actually remove stuff because up until up until then, like Apple really had not removed much API. It's it's more just like deprecating it, and it'll go away at some point in the future. But yeah, they just removed this one. Like, boom, it's gone. <laughs> Apple's had been better at that than some microsystems. Sun oh. would would deprecate things and never remove it. So, like the number deprecated. Yeah, uh, maybe then I'm used to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Java, then they're on like their fourth date API. <laughs> Java came out 20 years ago, and today's JVM can still run JVM 1.0 code. The Java 1.0 code. So, yeah, it's not good. Well, on that note, <laughs> I think that's about all the time we have. Why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the Internet? Uh, you can still find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. And I'm at Sam Quarter. I'm at Alex Argo, and you can find the podcast at Shared Inst. Uh, come join us in our Slack by going and getting an invite at chat.sharedinstance.com. And give us a like or a rate in Overcast or a, or a rating in iTunes. We'd appreciate it a bunch. And we'll talk to you guys next time probably about some new iPhones. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs>